0: The Legal Toolkit with Jared Korea. With guests Tony Tai and Ashley Carlisle. We play documentary history and then Jared shares some of his favorite bargain bin buys. Well, favorite may be the wrong word. Certainly most disturbing. But first, your host, Jared Korea.
1: It's time for the Legal Toolkit show. And yes, it's still called the Legal Toolkit Podcast, even though I don't have any stork beak pliers accessible in my home right now, although Christmas is coming. I'm your host, Jared Correa. You're stuck with me because Ellen DeGeneres was not available. She's yelling at a staff person right now. But really, how hard is it to get the coffee order right, Tom? I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools so law firms can build documents faster and more accurately. You can find out more about Gideon at GideonLegal.com. Now, before we get to our interview today with Tony Tai and Ashley Carlisle of HyperDraft, let's talk about law firm pricing. Law firm pricing is uh, not all that transparent, honestly. If I'm a law firm client, a legal consumer, I'm likely greeted by fear and consternation when I walk into a lawyer's office. As we've gone over ad nauseum on this podcast, hourly billing still rules the day. It's a service industry. You work X number of hours. You make X amount of money per hour. You multiply that. Easy peasy, right? Everybody goes on their merry way. Well, not likely, Because attorneys who are not charging for value are likely not going their merry way. And also the clients are probably not going their merry way because they have no idea what they're in for in terms of legal services. So I've said this before, but in terms of legal clients, if you're telling somebody you're charging like $350, $400 an hour until the case is done, legal consumer has no idea when a case is done. They don't understand the legal process. And they may be on the hook for tens of thousands of dollars. And they may have no idea that that's going to be the case. And that may cause them to have an inability to pay down the line because whatever expectations they had were not aligned with reality. Or they may go ahead and choose another lawyer that offers an alternative pricing mechanism. Now, don't worry. This is not going to be yet another discussion of the death of the billable hour. I've been calling for that for too many years now with limited success, as have many others. But this is more about a discussion of consumer-centric pricing. So if you look across the economy, pretty much everything is consumer-centric. This is the convenience economy. It's why corporations like Grubhub and Netflix and Amazon are thriving because they make it very easy for consumers to buy and consume things. Lawyers do not, but in the convenience economy, Even as a service industry worker, like lawyers, you need to be able to make things easier for your clients. You need to be able to give them what they want. And that also relates to pricing. So your pricing as a law firm should be reflective of what your consumers want out of pricing. And I'm not talking about giving away free legal services, right? We're not going down to the level of, yeah, it'd be great to get free legal services. But legal services that represent more of a modern option for clients in terms of the value proposition that's floating their way, not just the law firm's way. Because as we've talked about a million times, the billable hour presents the ability for attorneys to be inefficient and get paid more for it. And consumers are not dumb. They understand that. I think that as a law firm, you should be looking at consumer-centric pricing in a heavy way because it's going to be one of the most important things differentiating law firms moving forward. One of the major factors in an economy like ours currently, especially with the inflation being so high, calls for recession that are coming down, it's maybe already here, is that law firms to be able to separate themselves need to produce pricing mechanisms that are more in line with what consumers want and need. So let's talk about what that means. Five things I think you want to be thinking of when you're trying to develop consumer-centric pricing in your law firm. First, is that you need to be clear about what that pricing looks like. As I said before, if I relay my hourly rate to a legal consumer, that's almost meaningless to them because they don't know how long it's going to take to work on the case. That's like buying into a home renovation and the contractor tells you, hey, yeah, it's going to be like 400 bucks an hour to do this renovation and uh, it'll get done when we finish everything. Literally no one is signing a contract for that because they want to know the total cost. What's it going to cost to do the entire renovation? Not just what's it going to cost per hour. That would be a model that no one would opt for. So we'll talk about that in a second. Hold that thought. So when I talk about clarity with respect to lawyers, I really mean like two things. The first is that it's got to be clear in the sense that there's a rate that's outlined in the fee agreement or engagement agreement. I prefer the term engagement agreement because it should be more engaging, right? And there's also got to be a scope clause in the engagement agreement, which talks about specifically what the attorney is going to be doing. So that's a clear recitation of the price. That's also a clear recitation of what the legal work is going to be. What's the process? What is representative of the legal process that is going to get this client from point A to point B in their claim? And if your fee agreement or your engagement agreement is not clear about that, it's time to dress that up. Second thing, which is another component of clarity, is that you want to be clearly communicating what your fees are. That means you're talking about fees as soon as possible. I know some attorneys on their intake form Will tell the clients, like, our average engagement is about X. Are you willing to pay that for legal services? Giving them a chance to opt out early because their option is not to take every single client that comes through the door. They only want to take clients that are the bona fide as to pay them. So, communicating this even at the engagement stage or the intake stage, even before our legal consumers talk to a law firm is a viable way to proceed. And if you don't do that, then I think you probably have the fee conversation during the uh, initial consultation meeting and find out whether or not this person is willing to pay you. And if they're not willing to pay you what you need to get started, whether that's a retainer or a portion of a flat fee, whatever it is, you have the ability to and you can walk away and you should. Third thing, I've talked about this before, total cost. As a consumer, I'm very concerned about signing up for an arrangement where I don't know what the total cost I'm going to pay is because that means it could be possible that I run out of money, I only get half of what I need. And this is how most lawyers bill because that's how hourly billing works. And that's a dangerous game for lawyers to play as well as consumers, because those consumers may walk away from an attorney who's willing to approximate a total cost. Now, you notice I use that word approximate because you may not be able to give a guaranteed total cost But if you can give the consumer some idea of what the total cost of the representation is gonna be, that's gonna be really helpful. Two other things in terms of what is reflective of consumer-centric fee. You need to give people options. So it doesn't necessarily have to be that you offer hourly billing and that's it. You have flat fees. As we've talked about before on the show, you can have subscriptions. You can sell products, not just legal services. But the thing that is readily apparent which not a lot of attorneys exercise, is that you could mix this up. You could have hybrid arrangements. You could have hourly billing tied to a flat fee. You could have subscriptions tied to products. So lawyers are very myopic in the way they think of billing their clients. It has to be one thing and not any other thing. But if you start to mix and match, that might provide some viability for your specific client base. Lastly, in terms of consumer-centric pricing, I think you wanna be thinking about risk mitigation. So. How does the consumer avoid the risk of paying for an open-ended arrangement like legal services? There are many ways you can do this, but a couple options would be a limited scope representation. So you're going to do components A, B, C, D, and E of the legal service, and you only do A. See how that goes? If that works, we move on to B. If that works, we move on to C. That gives the consumer the option to get out at any break point, and also the lawyer as well, if it's not going particularly well. The other thing I've seen law firms use are success fees. So I'm going to quote you a a number of hours or a price. And if I'm below that, I'm going to get a success fee, a bonus of sorts, because I've completed the work more quickly. Or alternatively, I'm going to give you discounted rates, whatever that rate may be, if I go over my projection. So just to recap, in terms of consumer-centric fees, things you want to be thinking about in your law practice or whether those rates are clear, whether they're clearly communicated, whether or not you're relaying the total cost of representation to your clients, whether or not you're providing them options for services, and whether or not you've thought through risk mitigation for both you and the client. Now, most attorneys try to aggressively avoid conversations about money, but if you meet the moment head on, you'll probably be able to generate more revenue. You know, they say money talks, but what they don't tell you is that you also can't be afraid to talk about money. You know it's always money? Joshua Lennon. And he's got this week's Clio Legal Trends Report Minute. On tap next.
0: Here's a fact about lawyers who switched jobs in the last 12 months. 37% of them move firms in pursuit of better work-life balance. I'm Joshua Lennon, lawyer and resident at Clio, and this is just one finding from our recent Legal Trends Report. Given the irregular schedules and long hours that lawyers often dedicate to their clients, it's no surprise that many are willing to leave in pursuit of a more manageable work life. The unfortunate result is that staff turnover can be incredibly disruptive for both your firm and your clients. For more information on what law firms can do to keep good people, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O dot com forward slash trends.
1: Okay. Let's ride the wave of another unscripted interview and see how this goes. I'm cautiously optimistic. It's time to interview our guests. Guests. Plural, I said. My guests today are Tony Tai and Ashley Carlisle. Tony is the CEO and chief engineer at Hyperdraft, and Ashley is head of marketing. So, I never do this as like a a promotional thing for people who come on the show, because I think your services can probably sell themselves, but like, I got to tell you, I'm intrigued. I went on the HyperDraft website today. And what (laughs) it says is HyperDraft 2.0. And it's like, put your email address in. And I'm like, I don't know. Should I? Can you reveal (laughs) anything about HyperDraft 2.0? Are we still in like, you can reveal nothing about HyperDraft 2.0. You know what's
0: funny? Every time we talk to you, there's something else that's like highly confidential secret that we're going to about to push out. Uh, Why are you always teasing me? <laughs> I'm always teasing. You know what's fu- funny? I'll share this with you and your listeners. Since yes. we took down the main website, we've had more email signups than ever oh. before, which is hilarious. Because oh, sure. <laughs> you're we like, I just, now I need to know. Like before, there was something here, but now there's nothing. And I, I need to know what's happening next. I yeah, think it's just I'm, like, in- I'm intrigued. I think that's the part of the strategy. I mean, you can, you can thank uh, Ashley for
1: all that. Um, all right. So. I want, now that we've gone down this road, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about document management, document assembly. So, can you give me like the rundown on HyperDraft
0: 1.0? Can we talk about that? HyperDraft 1.0 was solving for DocGen, and DocGen kind of you know runs the gamut in terms of like self serve, just basic mail merge like features. The second step is kind of like the visual builders, and the, you know, will help you craft these things yourselves with some basic logic. And then the third one is like fully serviced. You know, you think your contract express or your hot docs, where they have a pretty robust platform. And then the way to think about hyperdraft is we're all three buckets all in one. So we provide any sort of level of functionality that people want, either self-serve to self-manage to fully manage by us. And so that was V1 of our, our, um, solution in, in that. Gotcha.
2: You also built draft, he's too humble, which as the marketing person, I want to shake him sometimes and be like, explain what you're doing.
1: All right, Ashley, tell me the real
0: deal.
2: The real deal is Tony is very humble because he is the chief engineer of this and he created this for himself um, years ago. Tony, are we at five years ago now?
0: Five years, yeah. Five yeah, six Yeah, so now.
2: HyperDraft has been operating for five or six years now and Tony originally built it to run the gamut, like he said, of all of kind of... different tiers of document automation that are out there to make sure all the functionality is there. But also he added actual drafting features that lawyers would use. Mm. So redlining, precedent carousels, you name it, it's actually in there. So it's not just a quick questionnaire and you get a document out. You can still have the experience of kind of, you know, a lot of drafting and a lot of what lawyers pride in drafting is kind of like their expertise of crafting certain provisions and saving language that they like over time, you still get that experience in Hyperdraft, which I think is why people love it, because you're not just having a sterile questionnaire that you're answering. It is more interactive and you're doing a lot of the stuff that you actually like about drafting. Did I actually like drafting when I was practicing? It depends on the day, but Tony made it better. But he's very (laughs) humble, which as the marketing person, I literally, I yell at him every day,
1: which- Well played. I was promised a discussion on the history of document assembly. I'm a big history person. So All right. talk to me about like, where it was, where it is now. How do we get to this point, And why do solutions like this need to exist?
0: Where it was. It started, I mean, you can trace it back to people's need to make money. right? Like any solution, you got to think back and look back at, at people's desire to make money. And so it started with yeah. invoicing. So I worked for a telecom company you know, we negotiated this deal a few years ago with an IT company that were building technology, or sorry, servicing technology that was built like 30, 40 years ago, written on something called COBOL. But it started with trying to generate invoices, right? Billing and invoicing. And so it started with this simple concept of mail merge, right? Here are fields that you need to plug information into. Let's start there. And lawyers really haven't, caught on to that for like decades, right? We've never made use of it. We had what are called legal we're secretaries. We're making right now, mail merge. Yeah, yeah. mail merge. Uh, you know what's surprising to me? There's still attorneys that don't know what mail merge is. Oh, there are. Yeah, there absolutely are. Blows my mind. But I would say origin story starts with mail merge. And then slowly people got to the scripting of like, what if I could do like simple if then? Which by the way, you can still handle a mail merge, but I don't wanna get into that. So, you know, people started writing very simple scripting and then it got to, okay, let me script inside of Word documents, right? Let me write, like, these complicated <laughs> scripts on, like, oh, if this, then throw this huge chunk of text in there. Yeah. And more recently, it's gotten to the WYSIWYG, you know, self-serve, you know, visual builders. People might not know what WYSIWYG is.
2: Yeah, like, please define that, to I do, that. but, Tell like, me.
0: what you see is what you get. I forgot yeah. how old I am now. Yeah. Yeah. You're not that, that old, man. But yeah, I mean, more recently, I would say the past five, ten years have been the kind of the visual coding, you know, WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get to have builder innovation. And yeah. I think we're right now in the time that, you know, what we're trying to pioneer, which is the all-in-one automated solution where you feed it information and it figures out the forms for you. So that's... I think the the next stage is where, you know, what we're trying to build out is the ability to talk to a system, interface with a system in a more natural way without having to deal with the complexities around learning how to code logic because lawyers are just not very good at that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, like document assembly, document generation, whatever you want to call it, for my money, the math seems pretty easy, right? Like, if you can get through more work more quickly, you make more money lawyers hate math but that's easy math why don't more law firms adopt document
0: assembly software
1: like what's going on
0: i think it's snake oil man like i think people are kind of burned by it being snakes saucy take yes (laughs) hit me (laughs) i mean i was i was taken by it right like i tried going down that rabbit hole too and then you realize oh it's i tried to save 20 hours the expected time investment up front for me is 55 hours in order to get this damn system up in place. And even then it's not perfect in order to save my 15 to 20 hours a month. So yeah. lawyers do that math and they're just like, I, I'm not willing. And it's by the way, risky, right? Risky in the sense that you might not get an ROI on that. You might right. you know, abandon the solution altogether, which is what we usually see with our clients. We're coming in, we're, you know, people have been through some stuff, right? And they're like, gone through this relationship, Tony. It's not worked out well. I'm like, but I'm different, you know, like um, I'm a different man. And so, well, you know, you're coming in it. It is usually an uphill battle for us because we usually go in and we're like, we know you've been through this whole gamut before. So how about we do it a little bit better and kind of save you some time in the sense that like you don't have to put any time investment. Just send us your forms and we'll do it for you. And so that's that's the delta. But to, to answer your so you're, question, more. so you're the rebound software.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tony, you're the ultimate we're the ultimate rebound. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Is that our new tagline? <laughs> Try I, us. I, I, we're the ultimate well, rebound.
0: Ashley the lawyer don't leaves go the to the software for, for starts working
1: <laughs> out. I'll help you guys with marketing. You just say the word. Um, I
0: I can imagine so many memes based on this fear <laughs> on just let's this hope. exchange. Let's hope.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so people have had a bad experience. They're coming to you. You're like, hey, we'll take care of it for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: They've been burned before by other providers. Another thing, which Jared, I'm sure you've heard this before. I think some lawyers, especially older lawyers, like I don't know if it's a pride or ego thing, but they just can't imagine that their work can be replicated. They're like, what oh, yeah. I do is so complicated that yeah. there's no way you can do it. Oh yeah. And Tony and I always time. look at them. We're like, how do we kindly tell them like. I'm sorry, you are smart, you are special, but we can replicate this. It's a weird situation.
1: All right. So like, one of the things you mentioned, I wanted to tease out a little bit, which is kind of like the setup for document assembly. So let's say say you get a firm who's never done this before. And they've got like this set of documents. And they're like, help me. Like, what do I do? Like, I know you take it off their hands. But like, do they have to have these documents finalized? How do you get to that point? Like, how do they tease out clauses they may not know even exist in these documents
0: anymore? Like, that's got to be a challenge for law firms too, right? It's a challenge for us, but we shift all of that work in-house to us. So, or they outsource it to us, basically. So they give us two sets of data. Basically, I have them do a little bit of work, and their homework is find five to ten forms that you like. Right? Let's say we're doing the MSA, right, Master Services Agreement. And they don't have a form set up yet, but they're like, but I know generally what i like. So start here, here's nine other forms. And then, you know, there's no secret to it. We run red lines, we figure out how that works and, you know, which provisions they prefer with some optionality there. And then the second phase is once we get that template down in that document questionnaire down, we have them share the entire database. So whatever document database they've got, and then perform our analysis on that to help provide additional. Optionality for them, and say, "Hey, you know what? You actually agree to this limitation of liability carve out a lot. Do you want us to add that in?" So that's kind of that two-step phase onboarding strategy for for clients. That's going to sound like magic to a lot of attorneys, right? Especially people who are like doing find and replace. It, it yeah. is, and the reality of it is like it's just a lot of hard work on our end. We're just willing to do it, and I think that that's the major problem with legal tech these days. Is you're still getting a lot of engineers dictating what lawyers do. And um, it's largely why we started this company because I was tired of engineers telling me that I should do it X or Y way. Like, there's a more efficient way, Tony. Dude, Why don't you write this in a a JSON object and then generate the documents this way every single time? Like, that's stupid. (laughs) Like, no, (laughs) I'm not doing that.
2: It's not what lawyers do. You can't change lawyers' workflows. Like, they're so stubborn and everyone's different. It has to go to them which is what I love because I'm bad at technology, as we found in sound check <laughs> here even. And I can use Hyperdraft because it just, it knows what I'm going to do. It's great. Because if it was hard, like, it, I would be not a great user. Some of these other legal tech things I try to use, like, wholeheartedly, and I'm, like, so confused. Within, like, two seconds, I'm like, wait, how, what? What's
1: happening? <laughs> <laughs> this was a fun con. You guys want to hang around for the next segment? We're going to do another segment after this.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Yeah.
1: All right, everybody's coming back. Okay, so we'll take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about our sponsors and what they can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned for the Rump Roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Partner with Rankings.io, the marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, Even during off hours, Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit Rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Contract automation isn't a trend. It's a strategic imperative. Visit getdocubcom slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Simplify. With Cosmolex, the only fully integrated practice management solution. Everything you need, accessible anywhere. Trust and general accounting is built in, so you don't need QuickBooks. Cosmolex's money finder, reminds you to bill for work you put into client matters so you don't leak money that's messy lower cost better business and less frustration yes please it's all built in with Cosmolex free trial and take 20% off your first year at Cosmolex.com Welcome everyone, here we are back again at the rear end of the legal toolkit. It's the rump roast, that's right, it's a grab bag of short form topics. All of my choosing. Why do I get to pick? Because I'm the host. Today, you guys fucking love documents. So I got a new trivia game for you. All about documents. We're going to do something I'm going to call documentary history. I also love documentaries, I told you I loved history. So we're going to do a five part quiz. I'm going to name or I'm going to describe a document and it's your job to pick out what it is. And we got two people here. So I have high expectations. And let me just say documents. I'm defining those very broadly. That doesn't necessarily need to be a paper document. So we may be talking about like really old school documents, which will get the lawyers and cobalt coders in the audience. Really excited. All right, here we go. I'm going to describe something. You can tell me what it is. If you know it, if not, I'll give you multiple choice. First, This is a steel composed of granodiorite, which I don't even know what that is, but that's apparently some kind of stone. I'm taking this from Wikipedia. Inscribed with three versions of a decree issued in Memphis, Egypt, not Memphis, Tennessee, in 196 BC during the Ptolemaic dynasty on behalf of King Ptolemy V. The top and middle texts are in ancient Egyptian using hieroglyphics and what are called demotic scripts, while the bottom is in ancient Greek. The decree has only minor differences between the three versions, making this the key, the key, the key to deciphering Egyptian scripts. Is it the Tabula Rasa? Is it the Rosetta Stone? Or is it
0: the Ptolemaic decree? It's not the Rosetta Stone, so it's got to be, it's got to be C.
2: C.
1: It is the Rosetta Stone. What? Yes. Tony! Yes.
2: You led us astray!
1: Oh, oh no. Tony.
0: For How sure. did I mess that up? I didn't think it too was too much coding. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't blank slate. What was? Where did you oh, say it the, was origin the, was? One? Uh, the origin was? The third
1: one. The origin. It is from the Ptolemaic Dynasty in 196 BC.
0: Well, you learn something every day. I didn't know that. Well,
1: you know, we try to teach our audience as well on the Legal Toolkit <laughs> Podcast. Wow, it's, I am so behind
2: not... on my History Channel.
1: All right. Oh, there, there's more. Here we oh go. Oh, my goodness. I, okay, I'm let's, gonna, I, let's I gear I really up. Enjoy, I really enjoy history. I'm, like, really enjoying this. So
2: would you have known the answer to this?
1: Oh, absolutely. All right, if you guys like that one, here's an even better one.
0: All right, let's go, let's go.
1: This is an ancient clay cylinder now broken into several pieces on which is written a declaration in Akkadian cuneiform script in the name of Persia's Achaemenid king, Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great. That may be the important part here. It dates from the 6th century B.C. and was discovered in the ruins of the ancient Mesopotamian city of Babylon in 1879. It's currently in the British Museum. Is this document called the Persian Platform, the Akkadian Abstentia, or the Cyrus Cylinder? You can go visit this in the British Museum.
0: Well, I feel like we should get like just some...
1: I'm giving you some points just for listening to me because if I had this conversation <laughs> pronunci- with my family, they would just walk out of the room. It's <laughs> so like, just... you're an idiot and annoying.
2: <laughs> I feel like my gut reaction is not going to be right. It's your gut. That it's B.
1: The Acadian abstentia. Is that your answer? Is that your final answer?
2: Unfortunately, yes.
1: <laughs> this sounds totally made up, but this thing is actually called the Cyrus cylinder. Kind of crazy. How
2: creative.
1: All right, I got, a, I got a more modern one for you. I'm going to give you guys a break. This document was a secret diplomatic communication issued from the German Foreign Office in January 1917 that proposed a military alliance between Germany and Mexico if the United States entered World War I against Germany. Mexico would recover Texas, Arizona, and New Mexico. This was intercepted and decoded by British intelligence. Is this the Zimmerman Note? The Potsdam Post-it or the Munich memo?
2: I have a gut reaction, but I was wrong on the last one. So, Tony, if you What's
0: wanna... your gut? I don't think it's...
2: <laughs> I'm pretty sure because, you know, I'm from... I'm that Texan in this moment. I'm from the great state of Texas. I had 13 years of Texan history. And for some reason, oh. I know what the first one is. I don't know if it's related to that, but I know what the first one is. But I did just completely fail at the last question. So I have very little confidence in my abilities.
0: All right, me with
1: your answer. There's no judgment here. No well, judgment. what's the
0: answer? You think it's A? Mm-hmm.
2: And Jared, it took me everything not to like somehow secretly Google because the fr- I don't like losing. You guys
1: are being good. A lot of people. We're will trying.
2: Just
1: on their we're phone. trying. Right, you are a- correct. You are yes! correct.
2: <gasps> See, Texas history. It is a Zimmerman. Let's go. No.
1: Let's go. And that would have sucked because, like, imagine if like Germany and Mexico were in an alliance maybe there's no taco tuesdays maybe what was C? Schnitzel saturday oh the Mu- the munich memo i totally made that up <laughs> yeah i was sick. like that's not it never heard of that before because <laughs> i've heard
2: of the potsdam you said potsdam postage so what is that i've heard of that before but i didn't think it was oh, i just, I just, I, just I just
1: made that up too that's totally made up i know
2: there's the potsdam <laughs> accord or something that yes. happened yes 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 okay that's
1: correct i was trying to throw you off I didn't succeed though, because you got it right. All right, you guys. Tony, we're
2: successful. still failing. Now, now you know, I feel we like we want to We,
0: we, we got we to gotta do trivia night at, at Hyperdraft, apparently. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, definitely. Le, just let me help out with that. I'm your guy. Right.
1: Okay. I've got two more for you. You can okay. still be over 500 here. This is a tough one. So, this is a slab of gray wax stone covered in runes that was allegedly discovered in central Minnesota in 1898. Olaf Ullman, who's a real person, a Swedish immigrant reported that he unearthed it from a field in the largely rural township of Solom, in Douglas County. It was later named after the nearest settlement. The inscription purports to be a record left behind by Scandinavian explorers in the 14th century. There has been drawn out debate regarding the stone's authenticity, but since the first scientific examination in 1910, the scholarly consensus has classified it as a 19th century hoax. Is this the Kensington Runestone? The Purple Rune or The Solemn Hoax? Kensington runestone, Purple Rune or The Solemn Hoax?
0: I thought you were going to go down the, uh, the history of Mormonism. But, um, but uh, well, uh, if you, if you I want me to... That's not the right geographic can, area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we need fun outtakes. Fact.
2: <laughs> fun fact. Document automation, legal document automation, was technically started in 1970s by BYU professors. So,
0: oh, perfect! Look at that segue. Good, good. That nice. more we didn't even practice nice, that one. Jared, nice drop. Now we can officially I get some like maybe every points? Okay. Yeah. I have pizzazz no points. idea what the answer pizzazz is. Uh, it, w- A right. or C? Ashley, oh, your right. call. All I right. think
2: perfect.
0: it's C. Oh, all right, go good, for it. Good guess, but it's actually A. The Kensington <laughs> <it>. Runestone. Super, <laughs> super interesting. <laughs>
2: Tony so, no longer listens to me. What is? By the
0: way, what I mean, what did the what did the inscription say? Like, why was it a hoax? Is it just like the guys that like oh. I I found? Yeah, this guy old just text. made
1: it up. It was supposed to be the fact that like people from like Scandinavia were in America in Minnesota in like the 14th century, but it was total BS. The guy just carved. That's, that's a out really it.
0: lame hoax to do. Like that. It's like, what lame. what clout does that give you? At least somebody started religion around theirs, right? Like, what? that's true. <laughs>
1: that's true. I think I think the answer is this is pre-smartphones, so people had to
0: get creative. I guess. Gotcha. Gotcha. I got
1: one more for you. I got one more for you.
0: Let's
1: do it. Let's do this one. 40% is solid, plus with Ashley's pizzazz points, I think this gets you to 50% if we get this one. So this document, named after its creator, is the first complete book printed from movable type. This document set the stage for print production moving forward. Is it the Maltese MacGuffin, the Gutenberg Bible, or the Luther Hymnal? Maltese MacGuffin. Gutenberg Bible. The yes. Gutenberg. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Tony. Tony, well 100%. done. Pulling it from the fire.
0: Only because nice one of my best friends' Nate, last names was Gutenberg. And so I uh, was researching fun facts about his family. That, that's, As that's one does.
2: Just and, and, research fun facts about your friends. No no no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wanted to figure out like what dark we were doing well, I don't want to get into this. It was Tony's kind of like, I like
1: to deeply research my friends without them knowing about it. Was this it. for like just a D and D
2: preparation or something?
1: <laughs> wow.
0: You just straight <laughs> jump on I don't even play D and wow. I don't feel insulted. Wow, That was savage. <laughs> I'm insulted. It's getting on here. Oh I my apologize god. Apologize
2: to everyone here who is an active D and D player. My husband does play. It, it was was a good joke.
1: Thanks for apologizing to those losers, Ashley. Okay. <laughs> thanks, for, uh, thanks for coming on, everybody. This was fun.
0: You guys did, you guys did pretty well. That was a hard quiz. That Dude, was now, really hard. You, listen, uh-huh. man. Like, you I'm can't just do asshole. that. Like, now, now we're going to go round but two trivia. But I can. Trivia. I just did. <laughs> round two trivia. We're going to go team versus team. I- I'm proposing it right now. Let's do it. We'll, we'll come back and we'll
1: do more trivia. Absolutely. Yeah. Evan is uh, going to make me wrap up. So I'm going to say thanks, everybody, for listening. Tony. Ashley, thanks for coming on. You guys were a lot of fun.
2: Thanks for having us. Thanks
0: for having us on, chair.
1: If you want to find out more about Tony Tai, Ashley Carlisle, and HyperDraft, visit HyperDraftAI.com. That's HyperDraftAI.com. Now, for those of you sitting in your living room in Skidoo, California, I've got an amazing Spotify playlist for you which has been aggregated by our guests today, Tony and Ashley. I had nothing to do with this. That's because it's an LA-centered playlist. And I hate LA, as you know. So this should be a real treat for everyone listening because I'm probably never going to play this playlist on my own. And I never would have created a playlist like this. But kudos to Tony and Ashley for both generating a playlist for me so I didn't have to and also getting at me with it. Now, I won't have the time to tell you about how i once discovered a human liver on a shelf at ocean state job lot so i guess we'll have to save that discussion for another day because we're out of time on this particular episode of the legal toolkit podcast this is jared career reminding you that not everything tastes like chicken like apricots for instance apricots taste like shit